We're going to be on Psalm 37 tonight. If for those of you who might be here for the first time, we're going through the book of Psalms. We just kind of end up where we end up and pick it back up, and the Holy Spirit just keeps ministering to our hearts. But tonight, we are going to start in verse 12, and we'll go through, Lord willing, the rest of the chapter in the next 45 minutes. Uh, but one of the things we're going to see tonight as we look into the chapter is we're going to see a comparison between the wicked and the righteous and the blessing that comes to the righteous and the tremendous judgment, really, that comes to the wicked and the ways that it comes. It's just amazing as we look at this together. But you may have, if you were here last week, you may have remembered how we entered into this. And I just want to cap this back. Do not fret because of evildoers and and. David is speaking about that, the conditions that surround them at that time, him. But then he gave several key words here. Verse 3, trust. Verse 4, delight. Verse 5, commit. He's back to trust in 5. And verse 7, resting in the Lord. And verse 8, ceasing from anger, forsaking wrath, and not fretting. And then he ends up with waiting in the Lord. And as we do, God does big things. And we all know that to be true. As we wait on God, we were speaking with someone last night about that and how waiting looks, we're going to see this as one of these themes as we're looking here to, tonight. Waiting can even look cowardly. It can look exceedingly passive. But when we're truly waiting on God, God does amazing things. Uh, it's, not a, a, it's not throwing up our hands. It's not giving up, or I don't know, so I'm just going to sit in the corner. No, it's an active faith. It's participating in a faith in God that says, God, you've got this. You know what you're doing. I don't know, but I'm going to trust you completely through what, wherever I am in my Christian life. Now, as we begin, we're going to just pick up some segments here of the psalm, uh, beginning in verse 12 of 37, it says, The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. Now, this is one of the themes we're going to see. The Lord judges the wicked. He does it in this time, though. He doesn't do it today. A lot of times we think, I'd like to see it happen. No, but God will judge the wicked. And if you notice with me here, he also simultaneously, we're going to see this theme as it's, it's kind of like going through this, he blesses the righteous. So God judges the wicked. He, he is a just God, but he's also a God of judgment. But he also is a God of tremendous blessing to the righteous. And if we look at this and follow this together, the Lord judges the wicked. He blessed the Lord. The Lord laughs at him for he sees his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy. He's describing what they do to slay those who are upright in heart. That means, let's be real, uh, as a Christian, if you choose to follow Jesus Christ, there's someone that wants to take you out. Guaranteed. The word of God says everyone who lives, lives godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And what that's saying is the wicked don't like it. 
Because your life is a declaration of faithfulness to God. It's a declaration of the cross of Christ, and it's actually bringing condemnation to the wicked. And they see that, and they don't like it. But we'll notice tonight how as we wait on God, we let God do his work, and we're walking in the Spirit with God. God does it right. And that's one thing to remember as we look at this tonight. God does it right. We don't do it right. God does it right. God recompenses for, to the wicked in the right way, the right time, and he does it perfectly. And, and it says, as we look in verse 14 and 15 again, it says, The wicked have drawn the sword and bend their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy to slay those who are upright in conduct. But notice the end of their, their attempt. Their sword will enter their own heart, and their bows will be broken. When, when I was reading this and just looking at this the last several days, I was thinking, you know, uh, probably one of the great lessons of the Bible was, is the lesson of Saul, King Saul. At one time, he was chosen by God to lead Israel, the first king. He looked like everything was right. But the day came in Saul's life where there was a lot of things that happened. There was envy. There was pride. There was many things that happened in Saul's life. And God began to work to where finally Saul was a defeated foe. And the last thing he did is he took his life. And if you look, uh, you'll look on the screen in 1 Chronicles 10. I'm going to read very quickly verses 1 through 7. And this will describe this time with Saul when it says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines closely pursued Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchusha, the sons of Saul. The battle became heavy against Saul, and the archers overtook him, and he was wounded by the archers. That's the, those who shoot the arrows. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust it through with, with me through with it. Otherwise, these uncircumcised will come and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore, here it is, Saul took his sword and fell on it. When his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he likewise fell on his sword and died. Thus Saul died with his three sons and all those of his house died together. When all the men of Israel who were with the, were in the valley saw that they, that they had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. And here it was, the day came in the life of Saul, as good of a man as he was at one time, at least outwardly, his heart turned from God, and he became a very vindictive man that was pursuing the life of David to the time, the time came that he himself experienced what David was speaking of. God judges the unrighteous. And as we see this, I think there's a place that we can, um, we can take comfort, no matter where we're at, that God is working. Uh, someone was sharing with me today, you know, someone that took advantage of them uh, and, and took, took a lot from them financially. And I was just kind of listening to the story. And, but God takes, you know, I think of Jesus. Uh, the Word of God says when Jesus was reviled, he never 
reviled back. When have you said it, Paul? You said it. He never went back. He never swung back. When he suffered, he never questioned, but he committed himself to the person who judged righteously was God. And God did it perfectly. This is the one that could have called 10,000 legions of angels. But you'll see this tonight as we look at this because it's an amazing thing that God really leaves us in a world of wickedness. You know, there was a time I remember one time thinking, you know, Lord, it would really be amazing if you could just take a bunch of us believers and plop us down in some little island somewhere, our own little selective island, and we could live there together and just have a great time. But that isn't how God works. He says, no, I will take you and I will plop you down in the middle of wickedness, in the middle of all kinds of spiritual conflict, and you're going to praise me. But, but if, and in that, what happens is when righteous people live the standard of God in the middle of wickedness, God keeps blessing it and it gets more. And where people don't do that, uh, there becomes the judgment of God and God comes and he administers judgment. There was a guy that I worked with for many years. His name was Ken, and it was, I was in the chemical business, and Ken, Ken sold to me, and he had certain products we needed. And I'll never forget where I was standing on the, on the Interstate 5 in Portland, Oregon, for all you Oregonians, right where 84 come into Interstate 5, and I connected with Ken there. It's the last time I ever talked to Ken. Ken had sold millions and millions and millions of dollars of chem chemicals over the years. But there's one thing I knew about Ken was that Ken knew how to work under the table. And I watched, he did it to me, I watched him do it to other people, he took people out of business, he cut them off, he knew how to do that. And yet I'd see him at chemical meetings, literally went to Israel with him in 19, well, about 2007 or eight, and he was on our trip. But, but we were talking and Ken was probably five years from retirement, what he thought was retirement, and he looked at me and the, and the cars were just whizzing down I-5 there. And he says, John, I have nothing to retire on. And I stood there, and this goes back probably 15 years ago. Like, you have nothing to retire on. You've made millions. But he didn't make it God's way. And I stood there and I said, well, you know, Ken, you have health. You have your family yet. Yeah, but there's nothing. And there is a truth that we find in the word of God that where you live with integrity and righteousness, God blesses it. It doesn't mean he's going to bless you the way you think, but he's going to bless you. And you're going to see this as we follow this tonight. And I just pray it can really be an encouragement in our hearts as we're going through this together that, you know, God's going to reward the righteous. When you choose to make a decision of righteousness, let's call it a decision of integrity, and you're going to live in integrity. You could go two ways in this. God is going to bless and reward the righteous. You'll never outgive God in these areas. He's an amazing God. He has this amazing way, but he'll come in the back door and you'll sense the blessing through something different than you may have thought. Now, as we go into the verse 16, it says, better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. And we know that principle is true because if God has, is in it, it's good. If God isn't there, it will not have the same blessing. 
And it says, the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. God multiplies, okay? I just wrote, I wrote here in my Bible, God multiplies, the enemy divides. The enemy reduces, God multiplies. And again, I'm not in the name it, claim it guys that say, just go out there and God's going to do it. He's going to be my, come my servant. The word of God doesn't teach that. But it does teach that God blesses righteousness. Clearly, the word of God, God blesses righteousness. Here he says, the Lord will sustain the righteous. I, some of you giving your testimony tonight, this, our, our dear sister that just spoke, that God has sustained you in a difficult time. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their inheritance will be forever. Notice the blessing of God now. One blessing is that God knows. Another, another blessing is that this, this blessing isn't going to go away. If you notice this, it says their inheritance will be forever. It's not just going to be limited to a little scope of time. When God blesses, he blesses with eternal blessings often. And we begin to what we recognize this. And they will not be ashamed in the time of evil. They're going to find the strength of the Lord. In the days of famine, they will have abundance. And here again, one of the things, sometimes I've been over, overseas in some very poor places, and I say, how is that realized where they're just struggling to all they have to eat today is a, is a little bowl of rice? And how's that, how's that realized? Because it is enough if God has given it to them. You know, I think of the story of the widow uh, who had the barrel, the, the barrel of meal, and she had the oil, and that's all she had with her son. And here comes Elisha. And he piles in there too, and all she had was that. And the Word of God says that that woman, with all that she had, every single day she would dip down into the barrel, and she would get up just enough for the day. No more, no less, just enough. And here it is the way that God supplies he doesn't give us a big bank account of his blessing, but he gives us enough. And the word of God here says this. It says, and they're going to have, in the days of famine, they will have abundance, meaning God is still there. His hand's going out. We may never see it. Does that mean that no Christian ever dies of starvation? The abundance here may go way bigger than we see because oftentimes there's other place in the word it says, he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Some people were born in India, in the ghettos of India, or the slums of Bangladesh, or down in, this, in parts of Africa. They, that's just where they were raised. But God, in his way, in his faithfulness, is still giving abundance. We don't know how that is always, but we know that he gives abundance. 20, verse 20, but the wicked will perish. Now notice, God multiplies and blesses the righteous, the enemy will divide and take away from the wicked and judgment comes. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. And here it is. It, it speaks about how the enemies just leave. The wicked borrows and does not pay back. But the righteous is gracious and gives. Once again, we see this, we're seeing this comparison between the wicked and the righteous, and, and the, 
and the righteous. And you'll see with the wicked, every time judgment comes, God's way, God's time, God's place. Righteousness, blessing. Wickedness, judgment. For those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be cut off. And once again, this is God saying, when I bless you, you'll inherit the land. Now, this is an interesting truth, and we're going to look at this in Deuteronomy for just a minute. Because when God speaks about inheriting the land, he doesn't say that you're going to have title to all the land around you. But what he does say is the place that he places you, you will have power, and you will have his possession, and you will be equipped with his strength as you're there. And it, it's already his. The earth is the Lord's. No one owns anything. God owns it. He's, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All we have is a little title. We hold a little title. We're just camping on it for a little bit. But the word of God says, God gives his people the land. You'll find this throughout. Uh, it was a call to Joshua. You, you go into the land, I'm going to bless you tremendously. It doesn't mean that Joshua owned the land. But what he did, did, he did possess was the Spirit of God in the middle of the land that created abundance everywhere he went. Moses went through the same thing. He, here he was uh, just journeying through the land, but God gave him his abundance and his blessing in the middle of all of this. It's, it's just amazing the way that God blesses. And I think sometimes we get this all twisted and we say, well, that means we'll pay this bill or whatever. And that's not what we're looking at entirely tonight. We're looking at an eternal blessings of God and the ways. And I think if each of us, even a ledger in a week like this, the eternal blessings of God will be overwhelmed about what we're seeing. Just write down a piece of paper, joy, peace, thankful for the grandson that just made the decision, uh, thankful for this. And you start adding this up. These are God's blessings. And he loves to give them to his, his children. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, we're thinking about this inheriting the land. And Deuteronomy, this was Moses speaking to the children of Israel, and he says, Turn and set your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and all their neighbors in, in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland, and in the Negev, and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to them and their descendants after them. You know what, you see what Moses is, what's happening here? There's a little push going, but go in, possess the land. I have spoke to you at that time saying, I am, I am not able to bear the burden to you alone. The Lord your God has multiplied you. And Moses is saying, you go, God's given you, multiplied you. And behold, you are this day like the stars of heaven in number. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are and bless you just as he has promised you. And here Moses is, is speaking, saying, and giving the children of Israel like a push. Go in. God has given it to you. And I had a friend, uh, 
many years ago. He was a, and we had worked through some very amazing difficulties together in, in, in ministry back in California. And God called Dev and I to go up into Washington to be involved in a church planting. But no one was there. It was kind of a crazy thing. But it wouldn't leave. And God had this crazy call. And everybody thought we'd lost our mind. And we, we, you know, you sit there and go, wow, this is kind of a crazy thing. But his name was Fred. And I said, Fred, I heard you're going to go up there. When you go up there, you're going to go over this hill. It's called Interstate 82. You're going to drop down. There's going to be a valley called the Kittitas Valley. There's a little turnout. Stand there and pray and tell me what God tells you. I'll never forget that. He was standing on that hill and he called me. And he says, John, I'm standing on this hill. And God's told me to tell you to go into the land. The land's in front of you. And, it, and I don't know who here, uh, Northwest people, Kittitas Valley is one of the most beautiful valleys you'll see. It stretches towards the Cascades. It, it runs about 60, 70 um, miles long. Deb and I were privileged to live there 12 years and be involved in planting. It was a wonderful time. But what was interesting, it wasn't about the beauty of the valley. It was about the promise of God that where you go under his power, with his resources, he blesses abundantly, and he gives that land to you. That doesn't mean you buy it. We just had a house. That doesn't mean you, you own, own that valley was, uh, was like 200 and some thousand acres of agriculture and all kinds of, they raised Timothy Hay there, and it's, it's absolutely beautiful. The only thing I didn't like there, the, the wind. It was amazing. It would come because it came off the Cascades. It would come flying down there about March, and it would blow and blow and blow like we've never, I've never seen in Phoenix, Arizona. But, but still, there was the blessing of God attached to that. And when I got there, Deb and I packed up, told everybody goodbye, left the whole Rumble family behind, plopped in that place, suffered, went through all kinds of trials, and watched God take nothing and multiply it. Nothing. And this is what God does. He gives us his possessions. You know, friends, family, uh, it just keeps on going. But God says, I want you to take this step. I want you to go by faith. Now, in Deuteronomy, again, I want to read one more to you. In Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20. And this is Moses, and he is speaking about the blessing of God. And he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. Now, this is the choice. I've set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God. This is what choosing life does. They're loving the Lord your God by obeying his voice, by holding fast to him. This is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. And here Moses is simply saying, when you get to the land, you can choose life or you can choose death. You can choose to live for yourself or you can choose to live for God. When he's speaking of choosing life, he's speaking about choosing God's way. Choosing God's path. Every single day, he says, I, I set before you life and death. Now choose God's way. So you get in a conflict with a neighbor. Resolve it God's way. You're dealing with a transaction between you and another individual. Do it God's way. 
And this is what, this is what he's saying here. I'm, I'm going to, I'm giving you this. Now in verse 23, he says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. And this is a beautiful passage. It just speaks about how God just loves godly people walking in his way. He loves it. He delights into it. And he says, when he falls, he will not be hurled headlong. Notice, we might say, well, the blessing of God should not come with falling. Yes, it does come with falling. It comes with failure. It comes with testing and trial. But what it says is when he, we could put the word she, when she falls, she will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. God is still there. God is the protector. God is another part of God's blessing. This is this protection. Even within this room, if we could just for a moment get an eternal view of how many places God has protected us, we would be overwhelmed. We would probably just, just be overwhelmed. But because God is an amazing protector, and he does it in so many ways. Verse 25, I have been young and now am am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. All day long he is gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. Now, sometimes I've, I've heard that reference that that means, okay, God's going to give us the, the same place, the same, our nation will stay the same. Um, you know, we, we develop this entitlement mentality that really isn't of God. God wants us to realize that every time he opens his hand, it's grace. It's his gift. He opens it, he supplies for us. He says, here, this is yours. But, and so we take this verse sometimes, we say that means that America is going to be just like this, or I'm going to have the same job, or I'll be just, no, that's not what God's saying. David's saying, he says, I have never seen God forsake his people, ever. I have never seen God turn his back on his people. In no situation, does that mean that his people have not suffered? We have, we have millions of brothers and sisters across the world tonight suffering tremendously. They lost their jobs. They were exiled from their families. They're but they claim this verse too, that God still provides for them. He is the great provider, and he opens his hand and supplies. And David is simply saying, in the course of my life, I have seen God as a provider. You know, sometimes we, we talk about uh, teaching our children, our grandchildren, and I really think there's a great privilege as parents and even grandparents uh, and it may not be your children, it might be your neighbor's children, your brothers or sisters, point to God as a provider. He's always taking care of us. That doesn't mean that things will look the same today. All you gotta do is follow the stock market. You know, try to follow politics. It flips up and down, upside down, it goes everywhere. But that isn't what we're resting on. We're resting on a rock that doesn't move. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, we're anchored in him. And when David is saying, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, he is saying, I have never seen God turn his back on his people. He will not. That, that doesn't mean I could not be in a prison cell for my faith, for preaching the gospel, living the gospel, or any of you. 
But it still means that verse could be real in that prison cell, that God doesn't turn. He will never forsake the righteous. He will never take us to a place that we are not recognizing that what we're receiving is coming from God. We're receiving from his hand. And here he simply says, all day long, he is gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. And one of the things that we can get from this to remember, just as remember, when God blesses you, he has somebody else in mind. Bless. As it flows to you, let it flow from you. Let, let your life be a channel through which the blessing of God flows. If God has poured his love in you, let that love flow from you, through you, to someone else. And that doesn't mean you're going to sit there and say, let me tell you all about the love of God. It might just be the way you go over there and love your neighbor. It may just be the way you go over there and help that, help that person that doesn't have something. But notice what he's saying here about the righteous. He's all day long, and it's, it's speaking about a consistent life. He is thinking of how to bless. It is a great privilege for a Christian to spend their life and their day, days thinking, how can we bless? It may be through prayer. It may be through a simple utterance of God, just bless that brother. It may be through just an, a small act of kindness. I'll never forget a time I thought this, I was in a church pastor and I thought this one guy didn't like me. We looked at baptism a little bit different, okay? And he was an older guy. God's taking him home years later. But I'll never forget the time the doorbell rang at our door and I was probably a 30-year-old pastor and his name was Ralph, and he reaches in his pocket, and he hands me a check. And I was getting ready to make a trip and teach in another part of the nation. And he said, I just love you. Just take this and use it. I really love you. And he walked away. And it just caught me. First off, it hit me. I, I had totally misjudged this guy. I had this guy is after me. And he wasn't there at all. He was rooting but I'll never forget the token of that gift. And that 75 might be three times that today. But still, it was his way to bless. And think about that when it speaks about the righteous. Because it's easy to think, well, I can't bless. No, there is a place that God calls you to bless that no one else can bless that way. I don't know what that means. But that means out of this room are all these connections in our communities, Right now at the grocery store, I'll tell you what, sisters, I mean, I'll just give you this, you're in there getting groceries, you look at those, those cashiers and you give them a smile and you'll bless. You'll bless, you'll, you'll just bless by just giving a smile. But, but the word of God says all day long, he's gracious, he's the righteous, and also his descendants. And so what you're doing by you blessing is you're teaching your descendants to bless. So you bless your children catch that. It may never be that which you just say, children, here's the verse, and this is why. But they'll catch that. They'll catch the blessing. They'll catch the wave of that. And they'll say, this is how dad and mom lived. This is how uncle lived, aunt, aunt lived. I mean, some of you here have eyes that are on you that you don't even know are watching you. There's thousands of eyes watching this little assembly here tonight. And they're trying to learn about Jesus, just watching. And there's a place to teach, but there's also a place just to bless however we can and expect nothing in return. Now, notice this in verse 27. We're looking at how God, the blessing of the Lord, and also 
how that where we where there isn't a blessing, it just really, really changes. Depart from evil and do good, so you will abide forever. And here David is simply writing of making the choice to do good and not to do evil. Now that's that's in front of us every day. It might be just something we think. Oftentimes it begins in our mind and then it translates into action. But here David is saying, depart from evil and do good, and here's the blessing, you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever. And here again, he is simply recounting what he has earlier said when he said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. God doesn't forsake his righteous. He doesn't do it. The whisper of the enemy is, where is your God? The truth of the word is God is there. He's right beside you. He's not going to let you go. It could be really, really hard, but God doesn't forsake the righteous. But, here, but here's what he asks the righteous to do, depart from evil and do good. He says, I'm asking you to make a choice. It isn't like we just sit in a chair and say, I sure enjoy being a Christian, and it's great. It feels great, and I got a great position in Christ Jesus, and I grab a few verses no, there is a truth of the word, and that is make a choice for righteousness. Depart from evil and do good. Choose God's way instead of my way. And, and, and notice what David says. He says, when we do this, the Lord loves you will abide forever. And he's just simply saying, I will bless and multiply in so many ways when you make that simple choice. Have you ever thought about it, how how many great battles are won and lost by one simple choice? We think it's, well, some big thing. I get all my arsenal together. I, I get the right books. I get the right friends. I get all the right connections. No, the simple choice. The battle is in the choice. Good, like David Moses said, good, I put before you life or death. The choice, depart from evil, do good, and you will be there forever. Because God's a very gracious God. He loves to pour his blessing out where that's, where that's the case. For the Lord loves justice. Here it comes, and he does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever. But notice what happens to those who don't do that. But the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. There it is again. Look how quickly there's no blessing. There's no future. It's just empty. The sentence of the wicked will be cut off. But in verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Okay, we've already looked at this. That doesn't mean that someone comes up and says, I want to give you this piece of ground, and here's the title. It might somewhere, sometime. God might do that. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the righteous enjoying the presence of the Lord where they're at, and doing, dwelling in that land, doing good, and God is multiplying it in many, many ways. Many of, many of us here are doing many things that we don't see the result of. You, you don't know it because God doesn't let us see all the results. But God is multiplying the actions of those who simply say, I'm going to dwell in the land, I'm going to choose good, and regardless, I will follow good even though I may not even see the, the blessing today. God has a way of, 
You've noticed this with me. God has a way of holding back his blessing for a while because he wants us to love him and serve him not just because of what he gives, but because of who he is. He wants us to follow him because he's God. He wants us to choose him because he is the Lord. And so sometimes for a little while, he'll be quiet. And he will say nothing. We'll just be there getting up in the morning. Okay, Lord, I want to bless today. Give me grace to love today and forgive and be kind and everything else that you're calling me to do. Help me to serve where you want me to serve. But God eventually will always bless. He just comes in a different time. And oftentimes he comes in a different way. Here, here it speaks about the righteousness inherit the land, dwell in forever. That doesn't mean that we're going to live in uh, surprise Arizona the rest of the, our lives. What it does mean is God will be with us as we go where he calls us in an eternal way, guiding us, protecting us, directing us, blessing, overflowing his blessings to us. This is what it means. Is This is what it means to dwell in the land forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. So we say, you know, what happens when we choose good? Here we see some symptoms of this, some results. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his law speaks justice. His tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. You notice words are coming from his lips, Actions are coming from his life, but notice a truth we find in verse 31, that the law of his God is in his heart. We see this often in, in Moses' teaching, that may God be in our heart. May God be within us so we, he can come out of us. If he is not here, he will never get out there. And here it says, his steps do not slip. The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. So we still see this. You know, it's back to that little island story I was telling you. You know, it's, 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 it's not supposed to be. Jesus said it like this in the prayer of intercession. He says, uh, he was praying to the Father, and he says, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil. Because you are the light of the world. We're the light of the world. In these families that are struggling, in these relationships that are difficult, in these circumstances that happen in our communities and our churches, the Lord says, no, you're still the light of the world. I'm not taking you out. Have you ever been like, I have and said, Lord, if we could just always have a good, normal, average, happy, joyful, radiant church, and we all just got along every day, wouldn't that be great? But that isn't how God works. He puts us and surrounds us by adversity. He, he, he tells us to still walk with him in places that may not uh, just uh, be a blessing in a lot of ways in the onset. The wicked spies upon the righteous, seeks to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand. Here's God's promise again. I'm not going to let that happen or let him be condemned when he's judged. God's saying, I will be faithful. I'm going to protect. I'm going to provide. I'm going to bless. I will do it my time, my way, at the place I choose, but I will do it. Now, one of the hard things I believe that we all, all learn and 
those of you who have suffered in many major ways, physically and even other ways, uh, you've learned this. And we've and in verse 34, David says, wait in the Lord. He touches this many times in his writings and keep his way. And he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. Now, David is simply saying, there's a place to wait. That doesn't mean you sit here and you give up. We've already talked about that. Some of you out here, some we know circumstance out here, it's not where you want it to be. You would like it to be different. It's not there right now. But what God says is you wait on the Lord and keep his way. Notice there's two, there's two parts of this. One is waiting in God. This isn't faith, trusting God. This is, Lord, I'm going to trust you even though I'm at the stop sign. Or it seems like I'm hitting, hitting all yellow lights. And, and one of the things that I, I, I'm tested in, um, like the rest of you, I have these little surges of impatience and I get busy and I think I want to get there. And one of the things I get tested on is just left-hand turns and I'm behind about three cars and the light turns green and nothing happens. Has anyone else ever been tested there? Ronnie's back there, amen. But, you know, sometimes I think God does that, gives us these little things to begin to gently, he's got a great sense of humor. God's got this fantastic sense of humor that's gonna remind us, I'm nudging you in this area of waiting on me. Let me work. Well, yeah, Lord, but is she, what's she doing? Texting or what's the guy doing? Is he reading all of his voicemails? What's he doing? I don't know. But, but what the word is saying is wait on God. Let God do his work. And when, God's, and when God stops us, be active. That is, okay, I'm stopped. Because what happens, most of us in our Christian lives, we go along and stop, bam, like that. But when God stops us, be active in the Christian life. Still continue to trust him. Still continue to walk with him, even though you don't see anything today. And look to him in every way, and he will make it happen. And notice what he says. He will exalt you to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off, and you will see it. David concludes this, and he says, I have seen the wicked man, the wicked violent man, spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. Then he passes away, and lo, he was no more. And I sought for him, but he could not be found. And what David is saying is, the wicked won't last. It doesn't endure. The little glimpse of glory in the, in, in the flesh sun isn't going to last. It's going to wither down. It's going to, it's going to decay. It's going to wear out. But, but, and David said, I looked for him. I looked for him. I saw him one time, but he wasn't there. But he couldn't be found. And then he says, mark the blameless. And that, that word is toam. 18 times it's used in the Hebrew, mark the blameless, the complete person, the sound person, the whole wholesome person, the moral person. Mark the blameless man and behold the upright. For the man of peace will have a posterity. But here he comes again. He says, this is the blessing of the man of peace. But here comes the, here's what happens to those who choose not to walk in the way of God the transgressors will be altogether destroyed and the posterity of the wicked will be cut off and the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. Notice the contrast. 
The transgressors go away, they're cut off, they're destroyed, the righteous endure. There's a verse in Proverbs that I believe it's, maybe it's Ecclesiastes, it says, he that has clean hands gets stronger and stronger. God sees the way, he knows the way of the righteous. Nothing goes from his sight. It goes from his sight. The salvation of the righteous of the Lord, he is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them. He delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them. And notice why. And we're back here tonight in one simple truth again because they take refuge in him. They come back and say, Lord, you're my refuge. I, you're my rock. You're the place I'm going to go and believe and trust you completely. And when we do this, God just continues to bless. And if I could just leave one word of encouragement tonight is wherever you are in your Christian life, don't get discouraged. God sees where you're at. Choose his way and he will continue to multiply it. You may never see the result of the blessing completely. You may never see every place that, that your life even touches other people or other people's lives touch. But when you wait on God and you say, Lord, I want to be there. I want to do, do your, I want to go your way and do your will. God multiplies it in such amazing ways. Here's what Paul said. I leave this with you in 2 Timothy 4, 17. Some of the last words he ever wrote. And here's what he said. But the Lord stood with me. He strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen, amen, amen. And that is who God is. Let's pray. Lord, we, we, we just stand before you as your children in awe of you, really, Father, what you do, who you are. Oh, God, take the efforts and take these our simple little lives and multiply them to your glory. Use us the way you want to use us. Help us to uh, continue to choose your way, Lord Jesus. And keep loving and serving and being who you want us to be. Lord, may we each have a productive week, a blessed week, as you take us from this place to where you want us to go. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.